speak back anytime you want. It's good to be with you. Susan and I really look forward to this. I'm uh, struggling a little bit, actually, with a cold, though, as you can probably hear in my voice. And I uh, got back home from uh, Asia, uh, Malaysia, on uh, Monday night and Tuesday morning. And, uh, man, I picked up something over there, and I've really been fighting it. And so just pray for me as I speak to you this morning. I do believe I've got a word for you, and I actually want to sort of get right into the word and not delay, because we've got a lot of things going on, and we still got to get to lunch. (laughs) Amen? All righty. All righty. The word's going to come. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, hon. All righty. So go with me, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 30 this morning, and I want to just look at some of this with you today and uh, read this. I want to speak to you today about fighting or how to pass on generational blessing. How to pass on generational blessing. I, I, this is a, something that's been in my heart anyhow. A lot of what I've been doing, uh, and I and a couple other pastor friends uh, in the last four, these other two friends in the last uh, four or five years, I think it says, all three of us passed on uh, successfully, I might add, uh, transitioned our uh, churches, uh, after having founded them, I pastored here 25 years and uh, then passed it on. Pastor Solo and Sarah, who are, by the way, on vacation today, should be home later tonight, actually, from my understanding. And uh, <clears throat> so it was good for them to get a break. And by the way, I hope during the summer, I know the crowd's off this morning a little, but boy, get some time and get breaked for, you know, get some rest during the summertime. So uh, make sure you get out of town a little bit during the summer or whatever. If you haven't made plans, do it. Amen. I mean, that was a good amen point, but I, you can do whatever you want with that. I don't care. But one of the things I and my pastor friends are doing, we're working with other churches to help them transition. There are certain principles in transition that are really necessary, and it's passing generational blessing from one generation to the next. Give me, I'll give you those principles real quick. Write them down if you can write this fast. But number one principle is tell your story. I, I hope you understand every person in this room has a story to tell that can bless someone else. And by the way, it's the ups and downs. Come on, amen. It's the good and bad. <laughs> number two is don't ever be afraid of passing the baton. I think some of the things that I've watched over time as a pastor is watching fathers who actually get jealous, perhaps, of their sons doing better than them. You should never put yourself in that position. You should be willing and ready and able to pass the baton. Number three, talk God talk. In other words, set an atmosphere in your home. Set an atmosphere everywhere you're at where you're talking God talk. And really, that even speaks to a standard that you're maintaining. It's getting harder and harder in our, in our society to maintain standard. I mean, it's just getting attacked as a believer from every direction all the time. And it's ridiculed and everything else. It doesn't matter. You almost got to get that Joshua idea, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you can move somewhere else if you need to, but we're serving the Lord in this house. <laughs> Number four, give them your mantle. There is substance in your life that needs to be released and received by someone else. It was very, it wasn't 
difficult at all for me to sort of give my mantle to Pastor Solo. I mean, uh, there's substance that we built on and built in, but it had to be released, and then he had to receive that. And he's carrying on to this day, doing a great job. Number five, learn to listen. Learn to listen. These are principles for passing on generational blessing. Uh, Learn to listen to the next generation. Number six, pray for them. But number seven principle is the one I want to enlarge with you today. And I believe it's probably the most critical principle, and this is that we must fight for the next generation. We must fight. That's the title of the message today. I want us to look at this story that sets this up and sets this principle up over in 1 Samuel chapter 30, I told you. So go with me there if you would, and let's just look at it and um, <coughs> excuse me, and um, pull some stuff out of here. It says this, Now it happened when David and his men came back to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziglag and had attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. And David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives Ahanonam and uh, Abigail uh, uh, had been taken captive. And verse 6, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Watch. Then David said to Biathar the priest, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod. It's sort of the inquiry stick, if you would, that how they went to the Lord in those days. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this enemy? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him and said, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them. And without fail, you will recover all. You will recover all. One version says, shall I chase them? Shall I pursue them? And the Lord said, yes, go after them and you'll recover everything that was taken from you. Another version says, you will have restored everything that was stolen from you. One version says, you will bring back everything that was taken away. Go and you will bring back everything that was taken. That's a powerful statement coming out of the mouth of God. There is in theology a term that is used called deism, and I'm not going to go deep into it, but deism is the idea, it, it's, in other words, God, uh, it, it's the idea that promotes that God made the earth and put man in it and then has sort of stepped away and he's just out there somewhere and he's not really engaged in who we are and what we are. That's sort of deism. Once you've made it, you're done with it and deism suggests that there's a God who created all and and upon doing so, he remained transcendent but he removed himself high and above and removed from his creation and he has no further ongoing involvement in creation. And so it emphasizes the transcendence of God, but it ignores the eminence of God, the, the personal of God. 
And so deism in, in essence says God is there, but he is not here. And, and if you get that, actually, you get the whole concept of deism. There is a God. There is God is there. He's out there. That, that's the belief. It's not atheism. He believes in God, but he's out there, but he's not here. And I, I hope you understand the biblical concept of God suggests to us that God is not just transcendent, nor is he just eminent, but he is both. Okay? And this is an important concept you've got to get if we're going to make sense of the message. It's not that God is just there or that God is here, but the biblical concept is that God is a God who is everywhere at all times. And therefore, he is there and here at the same time. Now, now stay with me because it's all going to come together in a moment. So this is the God who created the heavens and the earth, who created the earth, and he remained involved in his creation. And the first institution he created in creation was the family. That was it. This God who created the heavens and the earth created man. And only part of the only part of creation that would interact and talk back to him is man. And then he said, this man should not be alone. And so listen, the family was created. And it was created, by the way, for three purposes. Companionship, continuity, and covenant. Now, I promise you, this is going to make sense to you in a moment. But I've got to lay this foundation for you. Man should not be alone. So God created a family, women and children as well. And by the way, you can be very encouraged this morning by the first family, Adam and Eve. Because it was about as jacked up <laughs> as any family could possibly be in the history of mankind. The first family was dysfunctional with a capital D. So I don't know how your family is, but man, you can't even match that first family. And praise God for that story in the Bible because it lets us know there's hope. Come on, amen. Yours can't be any more messed up than theirs. But here's the point. It is a unit of companionship and relationship, and that's what I want you to see. Secondly, the family was uh, created for continuity. The continuity of the human race so that, that life would be passed on from generation to generation. And so it is in Genesis that we find the concept of genealogy. Somebody who begot somebody who begot somebody else, and it just keeps going, and there's a lot of begotten going on. But it's life from one generation to the next, and it's continuity of life. But there's a third thing, and this is where I want to sort of head with you this morning. The family also becomes the container of the covenant. Now, one more time. The family is not only for companionship or continuity of humanity, but it is, listen, it is the context for covenant. And God created and creates covenant, and he does so in the context of the family. The family becomes God's sovereign chosen vehicle for covenant. Covenant literally means to bind up. In other words, it's a binding agreement between two parties. It's an agreement. It's a covenant, even more so than a contract. It's initiated by God and it's ministered as a partnership. In other words, God initiates because God is sovereign and God initiates in the context of family a covenant that binds him, if you would, to his creation and to mankind. Example. 
give it to you real quick. God said one day to Abraham, I will bless you and I will bless others through you. God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will make you a great nation, but I'm not making you a great nation just for you. The Abrahamic covenant speaks of an agreement between God and man who became a family, who became a nation, and that nation, by the way, changed the world. So it's bigger than just a little family. That's the covenant. In other words, many were blessed through one. So when I say it was administered as a partnership, I mean this. Abraham had a part to play in this covenant. Abraham was to pass this covenantal blessing from one generation to the next generation. Now, included in the covenant was a spoken blessing and a favor. A blessing is is actually pronounced favor. To bless someone is to declare favor over them. To bless someone is to speak the favor of God over their lives. When I lay hands on someone or pray for someone, I'm blessing them. I'm, I'm blessing and putting, blessing favor, speaking favor, pronouncing favor over their lives. To bless someone is to speak the kindness of God into their lives. To bless someone is to speak the mercy and grace of God over someone. It's spoken, it's pronounced, it's declared. In other words, it must be transferred. A blessing has to be somehow transferred from one generation to the next generation. You see that? And God has chosen to transfer covenant blessing in the context of family. One more time. God has sovereignly chosen to transfer generational blessing through the family. Now, here we go. Plot thickens. Because God's sovereign plan always breeds the devil's strategic strategy. God's sovereign plan. What's his plan? To transfer blessing from one generation to the next. What is God's sovereign plan? To speak blessing that is transferred from one generation to the other, to the other, to children, to children, to children's children. That's God's plan. From Jerry to Luke and Sarah, from Luke and Sarah into all those other children. (laughs) But all of that breeds the satanic strategy of the enemy. And he quickly realizes that in order to stop the blessing chain, all he has to do is attack your family. Because an attack on the family stops the transfer. That's the whole message. That's it, right? You can put your finger up and go home. That's it. That's the message. The strategy of the enemy is to attack families. Why? So that God's plan of transferring blessing is halted and short-circuited. And he devises a strategy that will break the link, break the chain, the chain of blessing. And to do that, he attacks the family. Because if he attacks the family, he cuts off the transfer. And that brings me to my text. Look at the battle plan. It starts off in verse 1. I love this. It says, David and his men came home. Now stay with me on this. David and his men came home, and when they come home, they discovered that the city had been plundered and ravaged and burned to the ground, comma, and all the women and children had been kidnapped, had been made captive. They not only burned everything, and the, and, and the material stuff is not that important. But the important thing is they took a generation. They took the next generation. 
Get that. That's the key to the whole passage. The women and the children. The children which are the next generation and the woman, women, so you could not make another generation. Are you getting this? Are you understanding? Need to amen every once in a while. Make me know you're alive. The strategy was not just to take the city, but to take the next generation. And so they ravaged the city, burned it to the ground. And listen, look, watch. They took the children. And when they came home, they came home and found all the children were gone. They came home only to discover all the children missing. They came home, they looked around, looked all over, and the children are gone. Parents, come on. Watch, I'm going to make it practical for you. Have you ever come home and you stepped into the house and your children were gone? And not necessarily even physically. You come home and your child, as you once knew them, ever been greeted at the door and wonder, where is my child? Where is my child? Ever wondered, who is this? Surely you've taken away my child because I don't know who this person is up in here in front of my face. You came home and your child was gone. Or you came home and your child was under such attack and their head is gone and their mind is gone or their personality is gone, their temperament is gone, and your question is, what happened to my child? There's an attack of the enemy that always comes against the next generation. To prevent the passing of blessing from one to the other. I remember once Susan and I were up ministering up in South Dakota. We were with another couple from the church. On my drive home, I get a call on the phone. I'm in the car driving home Sunday night after service. Dad, yeah, it's Luke. Hi, Luke. When you get home, I need to talk to you. Well, I knew where there's trouble right there. That's, that's a trouble call right there. Big deal. And if the enemy can't take you physically, he'll mess up your mind. The enemy can so distort your mind that you're walking and breathing, but you're a walking dead man. You could not be clothed in your right mind and be acting the way you're acting. You could not be clothed in your right mind and be talking to me the way you're talking to me right now. You could not be clothed in your right mind and treat me the way you're treating me right now. You could not be clothed in your right mind and be acting the way you're acting. Something must have happened. Where's my child? Came home. My child was gone. Now, now don't miss what's happening here. It's a strategy of the enemy to stop the blessing chain. That there's such an estrangement, that there's such a distance. Once the children were taken, there was a distance between them. And there's such a distance of that transfer of blessing, it becomes hindered. That's why the Bible says, by the way, honor your father and mother. That's why the Bible says don't cause your children to gnash their teeth. That's why the Bible says honor your father and mother. Watch this, that your days which have not yet come may be long upon the land which your Lord your God has given you. You're, you're, in other words, you're not there yet, but you're going to make it to there. Then you've got to learn how to honor today before you get to your tomorrow. And listen, it's because that's honoring reaches back and it receives the blessing. That honoring, that, that valuing, that valuation that reaches back and receives the blessing. They came home and their children were gone. And then the Bible says this. The men looked around, 
And they were so grieved that they began to weep and continue to weep until they couldn't weep anymore. Ever cry over your child? Ever, watch this, look at where your child was not and it made you weep? Ever expected your child to be in one position and when you saw that they were not there, you wept? Some of us are in this text in here this morning. It's when you realize where they should be and where they're not where they should be. Have you ever, after that child is gone, have you ever been awake at night crying over a child? Now watch this, because the Bible then says the men were grieved so much so that they end up plotting to kill David. Luke was about 17 at the time when I got that call. He was going through a real serious deal. I mean, it was serious. Shook our family. Some of you would be here that would remember. It was one thing. It was hard enough for Susan and I to be struggling over it. But I was pastoring a church. and You know, at the time, it was funny. I, I was sort of shocked by this. I had a couple of the guys in leadership around us that actually begin to attack me because of what Luke had done. And I, I mean, I, I'm so I'm I'm on one hand trying to preserve a family, on the other hand, I'm trying to stop the attack. And they're blaming David here. It it's his fault. You got us out in this thing, David. Our marching, we were out marching and taking other cities, and no one was here protecting the children. David, it's your fault. Now, now don't forget, David is missing his children as well. So he's wrestling with what he's missing in life himself. And while he's doing so, he's now being put on a guilt trip. Nobody but me has ever been there, I'm sure. (laughs) He's wrestling with blame while he's wrestling at the same time with the reality of what's going on in his own life and his own loss. He's weeping enough for his own loss, but now I've got to deal with the guilt that this whole thing may have been my fault. Where did I drop the ball as a father? Was it that I didn't pass the blessing or they didn't receive the blessing? Have you ever felt guilty and and didn't even know what you had done to feel guilty? He's wrestling with the loss of his family and on top of that, he's wrestling with guilt. Now watch this, it's very important. The next verse says, and I I love the word. I love the word. Then David. Watch this. Then David, excuse me, encouraged himself. Sometimes you just have to encourage yourself. Come on, you better buy that song if it comes out on iTunes. Sometimes the only encouragement you're ever going to get is from yourself. Watch this. He paints a picture that he couldn't get any encouragement from those around him. And by the way, thank God, in my case, I had those that uh, Ken and Arlene stood with. I had those that were standing with us. And, you know, so it wasn't like everybody had you know, left or whatever. But David couldn't get anybody to encourage around him because they had their own problem. And now they're blaming him, number two, unjustifiably. 
Let me tell you something. You'll go through some things and folks who want to help you can't help you. They don't have any words to say and they don't realize how the hurt, uh, how hurt the hurt is hurting you. They don't know what to say. And if you're waiting on getting it from them, (laughs) you'll be waiting from now on. You got to learn, I don't know how to tell you, but you got to learn how to dig down on the inside and find some stuff on the inside and speak to yourself. Speak to the man or woman in the mirror and tell them it's a rough day, but you're going to come through this thing. You're going to go through maybe hell tonight, but you're going to come through this thing in the morning. You may have messed up today, but you're going to come through this thing. You may have made some mistakes, but you're going to come through it. It's not over yet. You just got to learn sometimes how to pat yourself on the back. Because the devil will make you think you didn't do anything right. Particularly with your children. And that's a lie out of the pit of hell. You got to remind yourself. Yeah, yeah, I may not have done this or that, but you sacrificed and you struggled and you wept long hours in the night and you've got to sometimes tell yourself, I didn't do all that bad after all and give yourself a hand. Sometimes you've got to encourage yourself. Now watch this. Next verse says, he then goes to God. Listen. I'm going to tell you something that is important right now more than anything you'll hear in my message this morning. Never find comfort that is not confirmed by God. Never make yourself comfortable in unconfirmed comfort. He encouraged himself. Now watch, it's a principle. And then he went immediately to the Lord. He said to the Lord, shall I pursue them? And if I pursue them, will I overtake them or will I be successful? Now now stay with me. And God says, go get them and bring them back everything that the devil has stolen from you. Now, Now don't miss this. There is a danger... When you encourage yourself with a comfort that contradicts the word of God. There is a danger when you find a comfort zone that is not confirmed by God. Well, Pastor Jerry, what do you mean by that? Well, let me just help drill down a little bit for you, may I? Pastor Jerry... I hope you understand two can live cheaper than one. Pastor Jerry, I I know you'll understand. I just really feel God wants me to be happy. Pastor Jerry, society says it's okay. Let's go to the deep end of the pool, shall we? Listen, it's a trick of the enemy to allow you and I, watch, 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 to get comfortable in unconfirmed comfort. 
you can make yourself, listen, you're talking to an expert. You can make yourself feel better about what God says is sin. If you're, listen to me. You can find comfort outside the will of God. So don't miss the sequence of what he did. He encouraged himself. Then he inquired of the Lord. He got confirmation from the Lord. Don't rush past that point. Because our tendency is to talk ourselves into comfort. There was just a minister in North Carolina two weeks ago that was fired. 30,000 people in his congregation who was fired by his board because he had talked himself into being comfortable in that which was unconfirmed by God. Our tendency is to talk ourselves into it, and we rationalize our position. And if that rationalized, comfortable position is outside the will of God, my dear friends, it's unconfirmed. And so the man not only encouraged himself, but listen, he has to encourage himself in the Lord. Didn't expect a lot of amens, but that's tough business anyhow. And God confirms and says, yes, go, and you will be successful. Well, I got to get going, man, oh, man. Here's the, a three-pronged strategy I want to get for you on how to pass blessing on. If you're writing it down, listen, first, go in. That's number one, go in. Number two, fight. And third, bring it back. I may not get to all of this, but listen. In other words, bring back everything that the enemy took from them. Listen, you cannot win the battle unless you go to the battlefield. The deception that many saints have is you think the battlefield is in here on Sunday mornings. Think the battlefield is here. So in your mind, watch, watch, watch. As long as you show up here every seven days, you think you're doing war. And I mean, we even sing the songs. I mean, as a youth, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. You know, every Sunday morning, you know, and onward, Christian soldier. We, we, we were doing war every time we came to church. If you're a soldier, if you're a soldier in the army of the Lord, why do you get so upset when you get shot at? <laughs> Praise God, hallelujah. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord and all of that. And then you get shot at and you freak out. Newsflash, it is the job description of the enemy to shoot at you. So why do we get upset and surprised when we get shot at? Duh, there's a war. Come on, amen? The Bible, I... I was, I was taken back when I got that phone call coming down the road from Aberdeen. But I realized it's war. Enemy's trying to take me out and take my kids and family out with him. Take a heritage out. The Bible says it this way. Don't be surprised by fiery darts. So first off, you've got to go in. Amen. Oh, come on. 
you've got to show up for battle. You've got to go into the enemy's camp. Number two, though, you've got to fight. The Bible says they went in and they caught them off guard and the battle then ensued. Now, now here's the key. I mean, let me put this in good context for you this morning. They were already tired from the previous battles. Anybody know what I'm talking about with that? In fact, 200 of them could not even go to the new battlefield because they were so fatigued. They had marched 16 miles just to get there and having, after having come from another battle and they were tired. And yet they knew if they were going to bring back this next generation, they had to fight. They were tired of fighting. But there was more fighting to be done. But can I tell you something? The fight is worth the fight. It's not that I was, you know, coming off vacation. I was tired when I got that call. No, oh man, I'm in another fight. Now I got to pick it up and fight some more. But the fight is worth the fight. I mean, I fought. It was two, Arlene and Ken will tell you, it was two weeks of pure hell. We fought for our son. I talked to my, I went to the Lord, I went to some counselors, I, I, I sought the Lord, I did everything. I mean, I'm, I, I'm getting it from all sides. I told my elders, you've got my resignation on your death. I told my son, I'm resigning the church. You're, oh, you're not. oh, yes, I am. You're more important to me than this church. You're more important. I will go flip hamburgers at Wendy's. You notice I said Wendy's, not McDonald's or Burger King. <laughs> at least they use real beef. I will go and do what I got to do, but you're more important to me than all this other. I will fight for you. I will pull out every stop. Oh, we're going to war now. We're going to have a war in this house, and it's not flesh and blood. It's against the enemy that's coming and trying to attack this house. Listen, your, your child... Your son, your daughter, your grandbaby, your legacy, your family, it is worth the fight. Woo! Yeah, well, Pastor, you don't know the struggles and battles. Yeah, I know that. I get that. But don't walk away from the battlefield and leave your child wounded at the hand of the enemy. That child is worth the fight. And sometimes, I don't care how tired you may be, you got to tell the devil, I've still got some fight inside of me, you just pick on me and try. I may have lost some battles, I may have lost some struggles, but there is still battle inside of me. I speak faith to every one of you in this room. I deposit some faith in you this morning for the fight. So that when it looks like the enemy has gotten advantage in your home or in your family or in your children, you stand up and tell the devil, I may be tired, but there is some fight left in me to go another round. You don't even know who you're messing with right now. You stopped by the wrong house. You messed with the wrong son. You jumped on the wrong daughter. You came in the wrong household. You want to fight? Then you bring it on and take your shot and better be the best shot. Because I will not fret myself because of evildoers. They shall soon be cut down, my Bible says. 
I stand with enough fight in me that I know greater is he that is in me. Come on, amen. Than he that is roaming the world. I stand knowing that I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. My son is worth it. My daughter is worth it. My home is worth it. My family is worth it. Oh, here's a biggie. My legacy is worth it. My hope is worth it. My dreams are worth it. My investment is worth it. Jesus said it's worth it. Devil wants to have you walk away from that child. Devil wants you to walk away from that daughter, from that son. Devil wants you to walk away from that grandchild. I'm telling you, he is a liar. God did not walk away from you, by the way, when you messed up yourself. We got to learn how to fight. Come on, youth pastor. We got to learn how to fight. Oh, I'm not just picking on him. I'm picking on you too. And so we fight and we take the battlefield. What does that look like? How do you fight spiritual warfare? How do you take the battlefield and fight for your children? You go in and fight, but how do you fight? By the way, I'm not talking about coming in here all dressed and cute. You got to put war clothes on sometimes. When you get dressed for battle, you got to put on some war clothes. What kind of weapons do I need? What kind of position do I take? What kind of attire do I put on? Listen, this is a battle you and I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose the next generation. I don't want to lose my children, my grandchildren. I want to learn how to battle, how to go to war for the next generation. It's quite remarkable what God's allowed us to do here. After having established a church 28 years ago or whatever, is to pass it on to the next generation. But it doesn't stop there. You know, most 8 out of 10 churches stop with the first generation. No, 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 we're battling for the next one. And then the next one. I'm battling for my grandchildren. I'm actually battling for them because there's going to be great-grandchildren one day. And then others that I'll never even see. But I'm going to have a legacy. It's a battle. I'm saying to you, it's a battle. You parents that are younger parents or whatever, I want to tell you today, you've got to set in your minds right now, as a young family, you better set in your minds. We will set certain standards in our home. We will set a certain way of living and doing what God wants us to do. We will be Joshua's of our generation that says, as for me and my house, we're going to do that because it's a battle and we're going to see the next generation. Listen, receive the generational blessing that God wants to pass covenantly between one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Woo! Come on. Now look at I know we're done. That's it. It's time's up. I know. I know. I know. I know. Sometimes a message like this can almost get confusing because you go, oh my God, it's too late for me. It is not too late. It is not too late. Listen, your child may not even be living at home. You, there's not a lot you can do once they move out, but you still can battle. 
You can take that child to the Lord. You can hold that child up before God. You can do a lot of things in the meantime. Come on, amen. You can do things that will set you and position you so that you're still in the battle. You're not going to give up. You're not going to let go. You're not going to just uh, roll over and play dead, as it were. Listen, it's a war. It's a battle. It's not just political. Get off of that. It has, nothing, it has everything to do with a spiritual war that's going on for the very fabric, fabric excuse me, of all the children in this entire world, as far as I can tell. It's a battle. It's a battle. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to fight. Anybody ready to fight? Come on, let's stand up and let's put some action to this this morning. Come on, stand with me and put your hands in the air. I'm sorry, I've messed your... Did you have another choir number or something like that? Or? What do you want to say? I didn't know. No, yes, yeah, say the name. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, this church has been called to fight for generations. Years ago, we had prophecy over this church, and that generations would come in and find God and go back to their other generation. And there are people that are coming in this church that never had a father to fight for them like he fought and is fighting. But that's what you are. You are to take that place for the people coming in who did not have a father or a mother who would fight for them. So fight with them, to encourage them, to stand with them in prayer, and to stand with them and say, you can do this. You can have a standard in your family. You may not have even seen it before, but I've placed people in this church who want to stand with you, who want to give you a great example of what that looks like, and that's what the church is for. Good. Listen, let's lift our hands up right now. That's a good admonition. Lift your hands up right now. Heavenly Father. Everyone in this 